For any size gift before Ash Wednesday, February 14th, we'll send you my 2024 Lenten devotional booklet. Make a secure online donation at thewordendures.org or make your check payable to The Word Endures and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. And we'll send you my new devotional book for Lent, By Your Holy Cross. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Elimelech means, my God is king. That's a beautiful confession of the theology that governed the nascent nation of Israel. They didn't need a king like the nations that surrounded them. They had a king, and that was the Lord himself. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Ruth. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. You no doubt recall that last time we wrapped up the little epistle to Titus, one of the three pastoral epistles of St. Paul. Paul reminded Titus of the trustworthiness of the saying that he had just written, that God saves us not by our righteous deeds, but by his mercy in the waters of holy baptism, where he gives us a new birth and a new life in the Spirit, making us heirs of eternal life, justifying us. Paul wants Titus to insist on this so that those who have believed may be careful to devote themselves to good works. No, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Paul tells Titus to avoid all sorts of foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. We saw that this especially meant anything that someone wants to add to the scriptures or to delete from them. Such controversies are profitless and worthless. And if someone insists on them, that person is to be reproved. If he won't listen after a second warning, he's simply to be ignored. That person is both warped and sinful and thus self-condemned. Paul asks that Titus come to see him in Nicopolis when either Artemis or Tychicus arrive with this letter in hand. And if Zenos the lawyer or Apollos cross his path, the church should speed them on their way. They're preachers of the gospel. Once more, Paul exhorted to good works and then closed out with a very brief greeting, ending as he had begun and continued with the grace of God. Now, a brief intro to Ruth. Near the end of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Old Jacob blessed his sons. That was the first time we learn that the blessing of Abraham will descend to Jacob's third son, Judah, the lion's whelp, from whom the scepter will not depart until the one comes to whom it belongs. Genesis 49, 8-12. Additionally, you may recall a few chapters earlier that Jacob's beloved Rachel had died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And we're told that she was buried near Bethlehem. That's the first mention of that town in the Bible, Genesis 35, 19. 
Then we have the account of Moses and Aaron and the Exodus and the giving of the law and the wilderness wandering, finally culminating in the conquering of the Holy Land under Joshua and the struggles of the 12 tribes at the time of the judges. Ruth, then, forms a bridge between the earlier parts of the story, the patriarchs and Moses and the conquest of Canaan, and the arrival on the scene of the next narrowing of the line. It won't be all the tribe of Judah. It will be through David. The account we're about to study falls during the days of the judges, sometime in the 11th century B.C. A reading from Ruth, the first chapter, beginning at the first verse. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Ruth 1, verses 1 through 5. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, since you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort from your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to ponder today's reading? Let's dig into it. Verse 1. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. In the days when judges ruled, judges recalled were quite different from kings. They might almost be called heroes. God raised them up at need whenever his people were oppressed and suffering and in repentance turned to him and forsaking the idolatry into which they fell again and again, begged Yahweh's mercy and deliverance. Then God would raise up a judge, a hero for the people. He, or she in the case of Deborah, would usually lead them in military victory against their enemies and restore a time of peace and comfort for God's people. Sadly, though, the whole cycle kept repeating itself. Also, because the days of the judges overlapped each other somewhat, particularly because they ruled in different parts of the land and dealt with different enemies facing a given tribe at a certain time, Sorting out their chronology is really daunting. The Holy Spirit could have inspired the writer to let us know under which judge or judges the events recorded in this book took place, but there is no way to know for sure. St. Jerome, translator of the Vulgate, pointed out that in his day there was a Hebrew tradition that asserts the events in Ruth happened as early as the days of Joshua with the great sign of the sun standing still. See Joshua 10, 12, and 13. And that the famine came as a result of the impenitence of the people after so great a sign had been given. 
Well, that's certainly possible, but we simply have no way to know for certain. My own opinion is that's just too early. I'd rather think sometime in the days of the later judges, maybe even of Ibzan, who was from Bethlehem, Judah, and was buried there. See Judges chapter 12. Whatever the time, it was famine in the land that moved this man to take his family and cross over into the territory of the Moabites. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Elimelech means, my God is king. That's a beautiful confession of the theology that governed the nascent nation of Israel. They didn't need a king like the nations that surrounded them. They had a king, and that was the Lord himself. So we'll hear in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, when the people demand a king, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Elimelech knows who is the king and that he is, as Psalm 68 describes him, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Naomi comes from the Hebrew word for pleasant or delightful, hence my delight. The two boys have very strange names. Malan suggests someone who is sick, and Kilian, someone who is pining. Maybe they were prophetically given. Verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. We're not told how long after they began their sojourn there in Moab, but clearly it was before the two boys had grown up. Naomi is left a poor widow in a foreign land with two young lads who, somewhere along the line, came to marriageable age. Verse 4. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. The Moabites, recall, descended from the incestuous union of Lot and his older daughter. That sad story can be found in Genesis 19, verse 30 and following. Although the Israelites were not expressly forbidden from intermarrying with the Moabites, as they had been forbidden to intermarry with the tribes of Canaan, but still see the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew and Luke and the mention of Rahab of Jericho, God did say that the Moabites were not to enter the assembly of Yahweh's worshipers to the 10th generation, as you can read in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. We assume that it was Malon who married Orpah, her name means gazelle, and Kilion who married Ruth, her name means friendship. Verse 4 continued, They lived there about 10 years, verse 5, and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I think the 10 years in this verse refers not to how long the boys lived in marriage, but to the total time of the family's sojourn in Moab. From their initial migration to the time of the two boys' deaths was about 10 years. Both men died young, and they also both died childless. Apparently, neither wife had conceived. You can only imagine what must have been going through Naomi's head. Surely God must hate her 
and be determined to remember all her sins and to punish her for them all. Surely he has turned his hand against her and all that is hers. She no doubt felt like a cursed and forsaken woman at this point. But you know, it's a very perilous thing to presume to read into human trials and tribulations either divine favor or disfavor. Rather than God being somehow against Naomi, her husband and her children, he's using his age-old method of trial and hardship to prepare the way for comfort and blessing. Yes, just as Joseph must have felt so forsaken and forgotten by God as he served in the Egyptian prison, wondering sometimes what had ever become of the beautiful dreams God had given him in his youth, only to find out that God was working through those misfortunes and sufferings to accomplish a mighty salvation. Even so, Naomi would be brought to see that her sufferings were not in vain, that God was working the greatest salvation of all right through the midst of grief and pain and tears and agony. No wonder that when the whole story comes to its grand culmination, it's deja vu all over again, through the cross of Jesus, through the death of a later day Bethlehemite, would come the bread of life that would relieve the famine of the entire world. That's where we're going to stop for today. Next up, Naomi catches wind that things are looking up back home in Bethlehem. The Lord visited his people, supplied them bread. Naomi decides it's time for her to go back. She starts to leave and her daughters-in-law start back with her. She stops them and tells them how sorry she is that things have turned out the way they have and that they've been hurt by the Lord's hand being against her family. She prays God will deal kindly with them and grant them to find new husbands. Together, they weep and express their desire to stay with their beloved mother-in-law. But Naomi will not hear of it. They would not wait around for a husband from her womb if God allowed her to become pregnant that very night. With tears, Orpah turns back to her people. Ruth, however, clung to Naomi. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check. Make your check payable to The Word Endures and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.